Hi guys! Welcome to here we go again. <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> hey guys, another episode of Sideshow. Anybody who made the mistake of listening in on uh, episode number six this past week knows that we are not recording in Joe's little hovel. We are recording in our friend Robert's bigger hovel. Um, it's a very nice place. And thank, then thank you, Robert, for having us oh, over. Oh, I'm thrilled. Thank you. As far as hovels go, this is one of the nicer Welcome ones. Welcome to my hovel. Yeah. Thank you. I could have this space right over here. The guests can come in. I won't bother them. They won't bother me. Your room's over here. I couldn't afford this anyways. Hey, wait. Was that a line from the jerk? It was. Anyways, Guardians, welcome to Sideshow. Today's episode is uh, all about gaming, arcade gaming, and Robert is a special guest who has a number of these arcade games, and him and Joe are going to spend probably the next half hour, two com- hours, completely long. geeking out. This could about be a two-parter. It. I think I kind of chided Jacques a little bit earlier because he said, "Well, maybe we could do like a one or two-part episode, I'm like two parts, like could what be the- a series." You know, no, no, right? <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Right. Well, I was like, two parts. What could what could possibly take that long? And uh, and not looking around and talking with Robert for. A little while about video games and, and arcading, arcade gaming in general. Yeah, this could be a two-part episode. We'll see how it goes. What what is the term? Is it arcading? Is no, there, I made that up just now. Nobody use arcading ever. <laughs> Copyright. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah. Call the trademark office. Yeah. Is is there a ga- is there a gaming term for people who collect arcade games other than bane of their wife's existence? Is uh, there that, a- that one's probably the most common. Oh, yeah, right. Bane of wife exists. Yeah, but no, I mean, I get game a classic gaming. I'd say yeah, or, like retro uh, gamers. Retro gamers. Yeah, or. Um, just video game collectors. Because I know what, what. What do you call people who collect stamps? Losers. <laughs> Good one. So, um, Robert, maybe you can just introduce the audience to your arcade room, and maybe you can just do a quick rundown of the games that you have. Sure. So, the games that I have, I have nine games. Six of them are working. Three of them are what they call projects. Uh, the first game I have is a Popeye. I uh, also have a t- uh, Millipede. Slash Centipede with a chip, uh, Dig Dug, Donkey Kong Jr., Defender, Galaga, and then Project Games are Burger Time, Return of the Jedi, and Seawolf. Yeah, uh, and Seawolf is the oldest one that you have. Seawolf is the oldest game. It's actually the game um, I paid the least for. I uh, got it for a song. Power's up, but still working on it. Which um, song was it, by the way? <laughs> not a good one. When um, Larry breaks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, again, Seawolf is the old original. And actually, they brought it back. So there's actually a new updated version of this. If you go to like. Um, any of the newer arcades, like a Chuck E. Cheese or any of the trampoline parks, you'll see there's a newer Sea Wolf with the exact same logo where I think Williams licensed it. Uh, Williams Gaming is long gone, but uh, with that, whoever owns that trademark and license put it on a new game, which is, again, 3D graphics, kind of a sit-down cocktail version where you can shoot uh, torpedoes at various and get tickets to turn into your favorite uh, worthy prize. Yeah, the redemption. The redemption. Yeah, games. I know. But, the, the, I mean, the Sea Wolf that you have now, it has a periscope attached to it. It does have a periscope. It has some classic sound. 
sounds of the U-boats and of the uh, destroyers going by. Uh, this is the original game, I think, from 1978-79. And yours is a project version because it does not... It is powers up, it, it, but it doesn't work. It powers up, but there's no display. So I haven't gotten into it yet. And I, and I like to be fairly careful with the games because, again, these are you know really antiques. I mean, this game in particular is you know going on 40 years old. And so when I originally took the door off the back of it, there's a little bit of wood rot and stuff yeah. going on back there. So he's got to be careful. Uh, I like to try to preserve them because they are kind of uh, becoming more and more rare. Yeah. I mean, these are like historical artifacts. And yeah. they're only going to be, become more valuable over time. Unlike Beanie Babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that bubble burst in. But I have the princess one, the purple one. Oh, okay. That, that's the good one. We all suck a lot of money. When you said millipede with a chip, what does that mean? Yeah, so the, the really cool thing about the, this hobby now, um, Jacques, is if you get a lot of these games, are, you know, they are the original boards, they are the original monitors. You know, they, they faded over time. A lot of times they'll get a condition called burn-in because it's the same image over and over right, and right. over again that you get, used to get on the old uh, plasma TVs. Um, so a lot of times you can't, get you can't get rid of that no matter what you do. Um, but a lot of times now you can, uh, rec they call recapping the monitor, putting new capacitors on that really brings the colors and the richness back to the monitors. But also on the boards, they have a lot of different chips now um, and capacitors which allow you to either save the high scores and maybe add an extra game on. So Centipede and Millipede essentially function the same way with a trackball and a fire button. This little extra chip and board, which any, pretty much anybody could put on, might cost an extra 10, 15 bucks from an online gaming resource. You slap it on, you, you push two buttons a certain way, and now you're playing um, the Centipede version of the game versus Millipede. So it's basically an add-on chip. And does that increase, decrease the value, or is it like not original if you add the chip? Does it? You know, it, it kind of depends. So for me, as a, a gaming who likes to play the games, I think it's really neat because you get to add the game. Uh, so now I've got, rather than having a millipede and a centipede cabinet, I get to experience both. Having said that, you're not changing or altering the original version of the game. For, the, for those purists, I can pop that chip off and the board is still the same, everything's still original. Uh, and there's nearly no change to the original millipede game. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, collecting uh, the original cabinets is, is is fantastic. If you have a the space, b the money. Yeah. Myself, I I do emulators. Sorry, folks, I'm not a purist like Robert here, but uh. <laughs> but let me say, there's nothing wrong with emulators. To be honest with you, I think emulators are fantastic. The M A M E is what you probably a lot of people yeah, have heard about Mame, and it's it's brought so many more people into the hobby. And again, it it really exposes you to so many games that you otherwise wouldn't have. The point just made. It's it can get expensive. It can these things are six feet tall and three hundred pounds, and we all have only have so much space. Right. Uh, I'm fortunate that I have an unfinished basement with a lot of space right now, but I'm not sure how long I'll have it. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, again, I think everyone has their price points. I mean, for me too, I try to focus on games. I'm not going to pay a lot of money for a game. So a lot of times I'll find them from individual collectors or like a bar or businesses going out of business. You can go online and buy these, and there's stores that'll sell them to you, all refurbished, slick looking good. A lot of time refurbished parts. But they're marked up big time, almost what they were originally, two or three thousand dollars a piece. And what I'm proud to say is, for most of all my games, I haven't paid more than most expensive one I bought was Popeye, which is my first one. Right. Kind of I was going to ask one. you what was the first for, game you uh, for six hundred. Yeah. And the rest have been all less than that. And then I, um, I've kind of made it a hobby to enjoy, you know, buying little bits and pieces and trying to refurbish them and making them nicer yep. in my own way. But yeah, cost is always a concern. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would like to, my dream would be get a, a main cabinet, just like a, even like a main cabinet kit, because I'm yeah. not as handy. I'm not a woodworking guy. I'm not going to take an old cabinet and retrofit it and all that stuff. So that would probably be the peak of my interest in getting an actual arcade experience in my home. 
But uh, this is just fantastic, and this is just sort of the tip of your iceberg. I mean, you're, you're, I think you're you're looking to expand this over oh, time. Oh, I'd love to. I've got a little laundry list. And, and then, to be honest, when I made that laundry list, I made a laundry list of about 20 games. And I said, you know, listen, these are the games, if I can find them in good shape without having to completely start from scratch, I'd love to, love to acquire them and obtain them for a reasonable price. But um, that list is even longer in reality. But I've had to be conscious and think, hey, 20 games is probably about it. Maybe yeah. not even attainable to get that many. Right. Having said that, I think like anybody else in this hobby, every once in a while a game will come up that you just you hadn't planned on buying, but it was um, the right price and right time, and hey, why not take a roll the dice on it? And Seawolf's a prime example of that. Yeah, I wasn't really looking for a Seawolf. If you told me my top 20 games, if I only had room for 20 games, would I pick Seawolf? Absolutely not. But for 90 bucks, uh, I'll, take a, I'll take a flyer on a Seawolf. 90 bucks delivered. Delivered. Said, yeah. I'll take a flyer on it, see if I can get it to work. If the wor- worst case scenario I can, I'm out 90 bucks. Best case, hey, I've got a really cool game. And then the neat thing is in this hobby, you can usually make your money back. You can usually flip these and find other collectors and sell them. And you, know, you might sell one or two and then bring a different one in. Right. And then the, the, the worrisome thing about collecting arcade cabinets now is that because of the internet, because of the people who have grown up on these games uh, now, are, like yourself, have come into money or... Are, middle have, age. Middle age, <laughs> exactly right. I can't afford the sports car. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the women. <laughs> or that house on the beach. Right. But I mean... Or the women. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the hobby is only going to get more and more expensive, and these cabinets are going to become more and, and harder and harder to find. So it's almost like there's a ticking clock as far as how long you can go without buying the games and holding out for the you know the games that you really want because mm-hmm. they're only going to go up in price. Uh, that, that's true, and we're seeing that um, you know in arcade games and pinball machines and a lot of collectibles from the arcade era. I mean, even the older games from the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, the old pitch and pitch and hit games, the mechanical the games. mechanical games that don't have don't even rely on the. Um, Electricity. Uh, the video, the video, electricity <laughs> or the video boards. Yeah. They're even more expensive than they ever were. Yeah. So what is, I mean, from what you have here now, what would you say your favorite go-to game is? You know, probably Millipede. And, it, and it, I can't say that I was a diehard centipede Millipede guy before I bought the machine. All right. Um, I've kind of grown to love it. And that, you know, um, it can get very hectic and get very complex and get very manic. And, um, again, the nice thing about that, um, a game which is by Atari, came out in 82, is you can actually start in a higher level and a higher complexity. So you're not starting at the base zero all the time. Yep. But just because um, I think it's a game that doesn't translate well to the home systems because you have to have a trackball to truly truly play it the way it was meant to be played. And it was one of the first, it was actually the second game I got. I just spent a lot of time with it, and I've grown to really appreciate it and love it. And um, so if you asked me originally, again, it was, it was kind of a convenience thing. I said, oh, this is a popular game. I think I could always you know, sell it if I had to. I got a good deal on it. Uh, I put a little bit of work into it. Still have a little bit of work to go. But for the most part, this was a game that I thought would be, hey, it would be fun to own. But I never thought I'd enjoy it as much as I do. Yeah, I think Millipede is also, it's, it's very evergreen, and it's so random in its, in its play. Like, if you play a game like Galaga, for example, mm-hmm. which is Jacques' jam, by the way. Yes. That high score is going to look great on a resume. <laughs> <laughs> I love using that line because he constantly <laughs> uses that line to me. But a game like Galaga, eventually, if you if you become you know so OCD about it and uh, and you can become really good at it, you can master it because it's almost pattern recognition. You yes. know, they all come down the same thing. Whereas Millipede, it's so frantic and manic and almost random. Yes. You well, know, a lot the, of variables. Yeah. A lot of some, different insects coming at you. Right. It, it, it's just it's almost impossible to master that game, and it's, right. uh, it's almost like a, a a new experience every time you play it. Right. Um, and plus, it has a fucking trackball. Man, trackballs <laughs> are just cool. All right. Hashtag trackball life. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a better trackball, this or a golden tee? 
Uh, a millipede is definitely. I mean, yeah, yeah original, come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Golden Tee. Well, the, the cool thing is, though, you know, now there's a lot of aftermarket parts. So I've kept most of my games original. You can buy, and I toyed with this idea for a little while with the millipede. I went with the black trap ball, which is a middle. You can get track balls now that change colors. Right, that have LEDs. In them that yeah, can, yeah, you know, yeah. They can do rainbow. When you have all the lights off at night, it's a very cool effect. So depending upon your preference, you don't have That's a nice Or your drug of this. choice. Yeah. You can, you can make it anything you want. Yeah, I know. So, first of all, Joe, great job mixing in these arcade sounds as we're talking. Joe, Joe has a mixing board. He keeps randomly hitting arcade Actually, games. I have like a Michael Winslow ability of making these sounds with my mouth. Actually, if you are, I don't, we don't know if they're coming across on the mic, but but Robert has the games on, and it has such ambience. Yeah, ambience. <laughs> nice. So Popeye was your first game. Why? Again, you know what? I, well... Two things. One, timing and opportunity. But uh, for me, I, again, I grew up uh, going to the arcades as a kid, like everybody else back in the 80s. And for me, Popeye had a kind of a special place in my heart because at the, at the local Chuck E. Cheese, when I used to visit my grandmother down in Virginia, it was the first game that you saw when you came around the corner. And it wasn't the first game that you always played, but it was always one you had to hit. And um, obviously knew the Popeye cartoon growing up back in the 80s and 70s. When I went out looking for an arcade game, I said, hey, these things have to be expensive to ship, and they are. But I found this guy on eBay uh, who lived in Tewksbury, Mass., uh, just down the road. And he had a re- completely restored Popeye, uh, original cabinet, original, a lot of original parts. Uh, but had put new side art on it, made it look really nice. And he was selling it for a reasonable price. So I said, hey, you know, here's something I can go. I can test out. I can play. I love the game. I had the game uh, when I had a card 2600. Let me give it a shot. And I went over there, and I was hooked. And, um, again, talked to him for a while, and he was a really cool guy who um, had kind of turned his dining room into his mini arcade, so he had a very understanding wife. And um, <laughs> it's, it's funny you threw that caveat in. Like... <laughs> but, uh, but, no, I, I picked it up, and it was funny. His, one of his last words to me when I, when I loaded it on my truck and I took it home was, he's like, you won't be able to stop with just one. Mm. I kind of was like, yeah, okay, buddy. I just spent $600 for uh, a game that I could go buy and or even play free online, right, today. So right. I'm, I'm done. And then I, I found that, again, I was playing it all the time at home. Um, I'd come down to the basement late at night, play it for, you know, 15 minutes. 15 minutes became half an hour. Half an hour became an hour. I got better at it. And I said, this is a lot of fun. This is kind of cool. Maybe next thing I know, I was looking for a millipede. <laughs> <laughs> and then it took off from there. Right. But and there is an interesting little backstory about the Popeye game that you could probably tell. To sure. The so Nintendo. Um Back in the 80s, uh, probably most known for their Donkey Kong franchise. Yeah. And, uh, Donkey- Never heard of it, but go on. No, no, yeah, neat little game. You'd like it. Okay. Um, you know, Donkey Kong and everything that spawned off of that, one of the true, probably top games, if not Pac-Man, Donkey Kong from the 80s. But Nintendo originally hadn't planned for it to be that way. They originally were planning to hype up and market Popeye as, as that game and put all that marketing effort behind Popeye in the U.S., but had a difficult time getting the license from, I'm not sure who held the, whether it was Warner Brothers or whomever held the license. King Popeye. Features or something. King features. Yeah. Exactly. And so Popeye became sort of an after-ran game. Same exact cabinet. If you buy a Nintendo cab- arcade cabinet, Donkey Kong Jr. Popeye, it'll look exactly the same except for the color scheme and the marquee and the um, and the board. But other than that, um, yeah, Popeye is kind of uh, what could have been. Uh, who knows how popular Popeye would be today, especially in the world of gaming, if uh, it had all that uh, marketing effort and that big push from Nintendo behind it. Well, I also have a little... Sorry, Jack. I, I also have a little bit of nostalgia for the Popeye game because growing up in Somerville, Massachusetts, shout out to Somerville, uh, <laughs> um, they had a boys and girls club there that I went to as a young lad after school, and they had an arcade section, and then this is growing up in the 80s, and the cabinet that drew my attention the most, because 
because of its cartoonish mm-hmm. uh, visuals and the sounds was Popeye. And I would just spend like half an hour, and they, they were free play, you know, for the Boys and Girls Club. So it's not like I was losing money. I wasn't playing with the Boys and Girls Club. You're right. Shout out to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, like I, I, I think the allure of the Popeye game was it's it's so faithful yes. to the cartoon itself. Yes, so like, yeah, it wasn't just like this junky kind of pixelated. Like it is, I think that's olive oil. I can't <laughs> quite tell. No, I mean these look like you were playing like the cartoon. Who's the woman with the with the vulture? That is the sea hag. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for picking that up because I yeah. forgot. <laughs> Sweet Pea is also uh, in there, and then of course Bluto. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a good game for those of you who haven't played, and they ported it to other game oh. gaming consoles like the Nintendo and, and and so forth. But yeah, Jacques, what's your favorite uh, arcade memory? And, and and it better be Galaga. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I play I play two years of junior hockey out of Buffalo in the summer. It was a summer league, and. I had five bucks a day, but that was that was spending money. That was it. And across the street from you know where I was, there was a, a, a wings, a Buffalo wings place, and they had a Galaga and a Miss Pac-Man. And the idea wasn't to get a high score. It was idea. It was how long can I make this five bucks last? Mm-hmm. And I got really, really good at just. I mean, we didn't have cable, <laughs> like so. This is literally this is so. This is eighty three, eighty four, and you know, in Buffalo, there really was nothing to do. Well, there was nothing to do if you had no money. I mean, right. you, there was bowling. Bowling was pretty cheap. Meth then. hadn't even come. Meth no. has no. <laughs> but but I wouldn't be surprised. If right. Meth, <laughs> right. Wouldn't be surprised if meth did come from Buffalo. And God bless it if it did, because those people need something. Literally, mini golf was big there, and bowling was big, but those cost you know five bucks to play around. So I would just go across the street to Johnny's and could spend a couple hours just making that five bucks last. And along the way, got like freakishly good at just those two games. So people would see me play those games. Wow, he's really great at games. Play Pac-Man, and I'm out within like seconds. Yeah. Um, and then, but I hadn't played in years and years and years. Whenever it would go, ten years would go by. You walk into a restaurant and you would see one of those things, and you would go over, and you would become the guy who's like, "Oh wow, he's really good at this." It's like, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm going away. And then when I I started a company in Santa Monica, I bought a couple of those to hang out, and it was the same thing. And then I would just hard to believe for those who've listened to more than one episode. I would be a dick. <laughs> it's kind of my thing, and I would play. And I would do the uh, the Princess Bride thing, where I would play left-handed, mm-hmm. unless the person was worthy of ah, me switching ah, yes. to the right hand. But we, uh, but I would, I would just play and like, oh, okay, if I if I can't get to like twenty thousand to get the new guy with the left hand, then. But those are the two games that I would just play relentlessly. And again, it's not that they were my favorite game because I like the graphics, I like the storyline of Galaga, right. or I was like OCD enough to really remember the patterns and study. It's like I had nothing else to fucking. So you would, you would, you would, you would lift in the morning, have a couple hours off, skate for a couple hours, have a few hours off, and then have like a game at night or something like that. So you were training like six, eight hours a day, but the rest of the time you were in fucking cheek to walk in New York, the biggest suburb of Buffalo with nothing to do but find a way to make five bucks last a couple hours. Cheek Tawaga sounds like a sequel to Galaga. It, <laughs> it, 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 the neighboring town was Tonawanga. The town next to that was West Seneca. Little slice of heaven. Yes. You know. So, I mean, you have 
a great collection starting, but you also have a wish list of games. Maybe you can highlight some of yeah, those. Yeah, sure. So uh, again, these are the games I have today that we talked about. But um, you know, if I had if I had my uh, my druthers, if you will, and had uh, and money were no object, right? You know, there's a few uh, I'd love to have. One of which is a Paperboy. Yes, um, with the handlebars. With the handlebars. I was a paper boy. I can relate uh, to all those things in that game, if, if those of you are familiar with that game. But it has the great handlebar uh, controllers. Yep. Um, another one would be Food Fight with uh, the, arcade, the uh, classic um, hero, Charlie Chuck, who would <laughs> run around and hurl food at evil pie chefs. That's who right. Came to, uh, yes. Was that sort of like Robotron? Oh. Very similar to like a Berserk or a Robotron yeah, yeah. type of game. Okay. But Atari made it. Was it a dual joystick? Uh, one joystick. Oh, one joystick. One joystick had a very smooth kind of trackball underneath it. Okay. And that's actually, it's uh, funny with one of those things is uh, the joystick was very known for breaking on that game. Oh. And so it's actually hard to find one. It's hard, far hard to find one to replace the joystick. Yeah, right. Um, you know, Tron is a game that's out there a lot that I just love. Yeah. Um, again, great graphics. Bring brought out back by Disney. Um, great controller. Four games in one kind of concept. Um, Dragon's Lair, I yeah. think one's probably everyone's familiar with. One of the first like laser disc video based games, which is basically it was a quick time event game. Yeah. Dragon's Lair, a fantasy adventure where you become a valiant knight on a quest to rescue the fair princess from the clutches of an evil dragon. You control the actions of a daring adventurer finding his way through the castle of a dark wizard who has enchanted it with treacherous monsters and obstacles. In the mysterious caverns below the castle, your odyssey continues against the awesome forces that oppose your efforts to reach the Dragon's Lair. Lead on, adventurer. Your quest awaits. The animation was done by Don Bluth Studios. Space Ace was yeah. another, uh, the sequel to Dragon's Lair, essentially. Or oh, the follow-up. Follow-up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dragon's Lair, that was the first, like, dollar game. That was that was the game in the arcade when it came out. I think it came out around 84, and it, and it got popularized, too, because it was on the opening credits, I think, to Silver Spoons. Oh, back from those yeah. 80s sitcoms that I think we all used to watch on Sunday nights. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was basically like a cartoon. It was a live cartoon that you could play. Um, but, unfortunately, it was, it was four quarters versus one, which at the time, it's like, wow, I could, I could play Popeye, Zaxxon, Bosconian, and whatever else, or do I play one game of Dragon's Lair? And unless you played it a lot, and got really good at that it. That game kicked your ass. The game kicked your ass. And it was all timing because it was all just up and down. It was the same thing as the modern games. It was well, one joystick and one fire button. But if you were slightly early or late on when you were going to go directionally, you were cooked. And I think, if I remember correctly, it didn't have, I think the later iterations of the Dragon's Lair, when they would re-release it, they would actually add the arrow indicators as to like what you should do right before. Yeah. I don't think they had that in the original. You know what? Uh, there's settings. I'm, I'm guessing I could be wrong. There's there's the, oh, the, the difficulty switch. settings. Yeah, yeah, right. There actually are on all these games too. Um, that I think the hardest one didn't have that. But the, yeah. to your point, uh, the later ones or the ones it's a different setting would flash. And so you'd see a flash and you oh, would like know to go arrow. that way. Yeah. Like left arrow, right arrow, arrow or even like, probably the easiest one had the actual direction like, hey fool, go this way. <laughs> right. um, but the, what's, what, what was funny about Dragon's Lair also and another big draw of the game was the gruesome deaths. Yes. Dirk Daring was the... Uh, Dirk, right, yeah, Dirk, Dirk the Daring. Dirk yeah. the Daring was, the, was, the, was the, the knight in shining armor that was there to save Princess Daphne. 
and actually, you know, I, I think I think she was that actually became a Saturday morning cartoon, right? And I think she was she was made a little Toned more family friend, yeah. family friendly, um, as opposed to wearing the uh, the sheer black nylons that right. she wore in the yeah. arcade games. Yeah, she just got out of a Victoria's Secret catalog like in it. the original yeah. version. But um, yeah, like the, the gruesome deaths would be, you know, if you missed the timing, you would fall down like into a vat of uh, boiling lava and then become a skeleton. Yeah. That unfortunately didn't translate well to the home consoles later no. in later years. Like the Nintendo Entertainment Very System well. version is notoriously bad, almost unplayable. But um, yeah, I mean, Dragon's Lair that would be that would be a get. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if you could even get a game like that to work now with the original laser disc in it because A, the players are spotty and B, the laser rot. The laser rot, the, la- the players are hard to find. It's a pioneer player. Uh, they're hard to find. Uh, the ones that you do find usually don't work well. Finding a laser disc is a whole separate story. A lot of times, what you see people do is they'll actually take a laptop. Right. And they'll actually load it on there, and then you play off that. Uh, so almost like an emulator. Yeah. Um, and they'll put that in the cabinet. So um, Yeah, like they've made DVD versions of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's essentially, yeah, it's a, a QuickTime game. Um, if you don't know what a QuickTime game is, go look that up. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not explaining everything to you guys. So, yeah, and I guess what you want to go like next on the list of our things to ask Robert. Well, one of the things is, like, what is the buying process running it through the managerial system? Oh, the managerial I, system. What's it is? What is the managerial system? <laughs> oh, is there is there a whole PO requisition ah, process? That's a does, that's does a very delicate human, topic. Does it go you through bring. human resources? It's a very delicate topic. What's the operating bring? budget for this sort of thing? You know, it, the operating budget, you know, is, is, is flexible. <laughs> Whatever I freaking feel it's, like, it's, it's flexible. Um, you know, no, I, I've been fortunate. My wife's been supportive of this hobby of mine, and, I, and she kind of knows that I I won't go overboard. Um, having th- said that, if you know, if I told her, hey, it's the love of my life game, and I I want this game, and she she wouldn't. Object to it. It helps when you uh, you're the guy that controls the family budget. Well, you know, <laughs> um, but you're doing it responsibly. Trying to do it responsibly, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's it's like any other hobby. It could get out of control if you let it. I think it's more and less about the money and more about the time spent away from the family. It, it is, but you know, it's it's a labor of love, and it's funny because a lot of times, you know, people that are into this hobby, they want to see these games maintained, they want to see them restored or brought back, they want to know they're not going to be tra- trashed or you know just left out in the in the open. Um, um, and they're getting harder and harder to find. So a lot of times, your true gaming hobbyists, uh, there's sort of a, a separate market that, that you know, people will give each other deals kind of under the radar, you know, or for below market what they put on Craigslist or what they put on eBay. Yep. What you were talking about made me think about this, but it's almost like something I don't want to bring up is what is the end game? You know, I mean, eventually, like collectors like myself, I collect a lot of console games just to have. A lot of times I don't even play them. But uh, we know. Shut up. We, we, we've, had, we've had two game reviews, and he's like, "Yeah, I've never played this one." Right. But I mean, at some point, there will be like sort of an end where, okay, what will happen when I get old, too old to play these games? What's you know, where do we go from here? It's almost like you have to. You don't want to think about that stuff now because it's fun to have sort of build your collection. But at some point, it's just like, oh man, I gotta figure out where this is all going to go if we move god forbid we have to move or something like that you know this is a it's a hassle to kind of maintain these systems and then transport yeah, it's them. not putting your ps3 back into the box and no i mean the, the games are big they're heavy i mean we had to have when we moved to my current house we had professional movers move them i mean you can move them with a with a with a dolly or a handcart um having said that yeah it's usually a two-person at least two-person job and yeah. some of these are bigger and more awkward and heavier than others you know, they all have different shapes and sizes 
is. But no, it's a great point. And again, you know, there's um, some place up in uh, New Hampshire near Laconia uh, called the American Classic Arcade Museum. Well, a lot of people would know it as the Fun Spot. Yep. And I think that's a great resource. And if you haven't been, I, I definitely encourage you to go. It wins all kinds of awards for like 50 quirkiest places to visit on your summer vacation in America. Yep. Um, but again, they are dedicated. They actually are uh, like the first arcade-based 5013C. You've heard that with Cars for right. Kids and everything right. else. On the right. Video, that they're actually um, we're trying to restore and maintain uh, an inventory of all these games and keep them working, keep them available to the public. So, you know, a lot, a lot of times what you'll see is people that have a really obscure games will donate them there. And yep. so certainly that's, you know, again, I don't know if my my kid my kids love these games now because they're simple to use and they're, you know, really young. But I'm sure, you know, by the time they get to be my age, these things will be uh, <laughs> antiques or not cool. Yeah. And so what do you do with them, right? Right. It's a, it, it, I mean, it's nostalgic for you because growing up, this right. was all part of the thing. Like, There's the, no personal connection for this generation. I think the draw to maybe new arcades isn't so much... The the game itself, it's more the experience mm -hmm. and the unique interaction with those games. Like, like if you go to like a Dave and Buster's, for example, mm -hmm. you know, one of the more popular games would be like maybe I don't know, um, like the Jurassic Park game. game sure. You know, it, where it's a sit down cabinet where it's almost like a three D kind of environment. But it's interesting too because the pace of technology, right, and there's the change that we're seeing in the, across our, our our world, right, it really affects these games as well. So you know, again, you go into a Dave and Buster's ten years ago, right. You won't see any of the games that were there in the Dave and Buster's today, yeah, because they've all been replaced. I mean, the you know the the T twos, the Jurassic Park, some of them the franchises have held on, but you know now it's all about the new interactive experience. Whether it's the wind in your hair when you're playing the new uh, Daytona 500, which is linked to five other people, and then yep. the seat moves and rocks and shakes. You know, the a lot of the games. It's funny. A lot of the games that we we call really cool and really neat, you know, five ten years ago, like Hydro Thunder, right, or even the Golden Tees, you can pick them up for almost next to nothing nowadays. Never one, they're big, they're awkward, they're hard. But people want the newest things. They want the the latest bells and whistles, just like we all do, right? They want the interactivity, the connectivity to someone else. Yep. I like the new Pac-Man tournament games yeah. that come out there. They're, they're like the big pressure luck board from like yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they're huge, huge mon like monstrosities. Big money, no whammies. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> almost every show he says. That. Yeah, right. that's what makes <laughs> every show. I have to work in a pressure luck reference every now and then, uh -huh. uh, every episode. So, yeah, that, I guess maybe we can... Well, but, but when you were saying that, what do you do with these? Your kids aren't into it. What is funny is, like, my little ones, there's more... Like, like, there's the Chunky Cheeses, of course, but there's more arcade arcades popping up. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a place in... in uh, Methuen called JG's. This is an ice cream place that has the mini golf, that has the batting cage, that has the uh, go karts. But there's a full on arcade, and what surprises me is how often they want to go and play these games. And it's mm -hmm. and I don't know. A part of it might be because of Netflix. They've stumbled upon the old '80s Pac-Man cartoon, mm -hmm. the old Mario cartoon. So they know all the new games and stuff as that. But they also know these games, and I think it's kind of well, it's just parents that. You know, people who are parents now that grew up with those games, like Robert and myself, that are indoctrinating. No, no, it's like I didn't sit down and watch it. Like, to be honest, those Pac Man cartoons, mm -hmm. they're fucking awful. Oh, yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> oh, God, the garbage we were fed as kids. Awful. But they found. Not as good as Mr. T, but no. Oh, right, right. right. Yeah. Uh, pitiful. Yeah, pitiful. Oh, you son of a. But seriously, they, they, they found uh, some of these old Saturday morning cartoons. They, you know, it's great. It's it's great. They found the Mario Brothers with Lou Albano. Oh. And the, one of the greatest episodes is when Cindy Lauper comes over to talk to Mario because she can't find 
Luigi, her friend Lou Albano. Right. <laughs> so right. Mario has to help find. Uh, uh, and, and then the, the, spoiler. Yeah. Then he has to like, leave the room. I'll be right back. That's Mario leaving, and then coming in. Hi, I'm Lou Albano. <laughs> uh, but but so they. <laughs> so then they've gone and they've gone and they've like played the old retro games because these old these new arcades don't just have like at JG's they don't have the room for the for the Dave and Buster's. Well, at the same time, they're not catering to yeah. the. Right. A group of five millennials who want to do this game together. So it's funny how they've these retro games have stuck around a bit. And I also, and I'm not kidding, and I, I this was lower on the list. Another thing that I think has some kids like Mike's age into the older games, Record Ralph. Mm. Yep. Yeah. They really liked the old characters from Wreck It Ralph, and they wanted to see Cubert. They want like when they they saw all the cameos from all the people mm-hmm. that we loved and stuff like that. They wanted to go back and play it, or they'll see one of these at a Chunky Cheese or at one of these places, one of these games that they might not have been on their radar. Mm-hmm. That's that's from that, and 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 go on over. Yeah, I mean, what when you were talking, just I was just remembering like how. You brought up the old Pac-Man cartoon, and like, think about the fervor. I mean, I was kind of young when the arcade frenzy kind of hit its peak in like 82, 83, 84. Um, but like, there was so many, everybody wanted to jump on like that arcade craze. Like, they had the Saturday morning cartoons. Robert, do you remember there, there any? Was, there was a song by Pac-Man Fever. Yeah, right? Pac-Man by, Fever. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, did you watch any of those cartoons? Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, there were, there were cartoons uh, on Saturday mornings. Um, you know, I, I think Hubert had one. Somehow they incorporated Frogger. I think there was like a um, Saturday morning arcade. Yes. And it was like a. I, I remember because I you know did some research. Um, <laughs> and it was like uh, Donkey Kong, yep. Pac-Man, and Cubert. Like they all have like their own segments of the same cartoon Half an show. Hour show. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Hey kids, part one of this Carnival Personnel Sideshow is over. But don't worry, the gang will be back next week with more arcade action and fun. Be sure to like and share Carnival Personnel on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Carnival Podcast. Now stay tuned for Pac-Man, followed by Captain N, the Game Master, on most of these stations. Super Kate. It's Saturday Supercade.